Our scripture reading today is taken from Luke 1, chapter 46 and beyond. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. May the Lord bless this, the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we are incredibly grateful for these words that recognize the huge and cataclysmic action that you've taken in Christ to redeem this world. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and that you would open our hearts and minds to just how big that news is, how big this message of the gospel is. And I pray that it would carry us forward into the holidays, that we would rejoice with a level of rejoicing that we've never known before. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for the... Uh, gift to the staff that was very kind uh, on all of the church and thank you for all your efforts with the live nativity over the weekend and those of you who are planning to participate in Christmas caroling that's extremely helpful as well uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you I think some of you know my family's been a little under the weather and I've been out for a few days I'll be avoiding spreading anything and creating a super virus after the service so i apologize in advance i won't be around to greet you um, but it really is to keep you safe and to minimize any sort of exposure that we might have now, i will tell you i've had three COVID tests they've all been negative so you don't have to worry about that um, if you're on the front row you don't have to run to the back of the church i don't have the flu either that was negative as well. So I've had all the tests in the world, but I did have a nasty virus that my kids have shared as well. So that's, that's what's going on with me. Um, I preach sicker than this, but I I'm, I'm, don't feel 100% either, so bear with me. Well, I want to start with a quote from the Dutch theologian Herman Bovink. He wrote, the gospel is sheer good tidings, not demand, but promise. Not duty, but gift. First and foremost, Christianity is about what God does. It is not about what humans do. We only need to look at the history of human beings to see that while human beings are capable of amazing things, really incredible things, we still lack the ability to fix this broken world. And our passage this morning is Mary's song of joy. And this is her response to the news that she will be the mother of Christ, to the news of what God is doing in Christ, to the news of what we call the gospel. Luke 1, 46 through 55, which Rupert read for us, is one of the most well-known passages 
in all of Scripture and in certain Christian circles, it is routinely used in the corporate prayers. It's often referred to by its Latin name as the Magnificat because of Mary's first word there in, line, in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. Latin word for magnify being Magnificat. And as I've said, it's been repeated almost daily by many Christian circles. But at its core, this passage captures the amazing action of God in Christ. It is gospel. It is good news. It is this announcement because it is about what God has done and is doing to redeem creation. It is an announcement of what God has done in Christ. I'm having the same mic problems I had two weeks ago. We had a guest speaker last week and his ears shaped differently than mine. I had it working. I sat with it literally for 30 minutes in my office just to get it straight. And then my mask uh, untangled. Give me one second. There we go. All right. Look at verses 46 and 47 with me. We'll just begin in the passage. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, in our candle lighting this morning, we talked about joy. Um, generally, that's the pink candle, and we do that on the third week. This year, we mixed it up a little, maybe intentionally, maybe not. Uh, but we talked about joy, and we hear that same joy here in Mary's words, where she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. When we say the gospel is good news, this is the good part. It is news that brings rejoicing. It is this announcement of joy and happiness and celebration. Now, what is it that causes Mary to be so elated? The answer to that's in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Now, Mary uses a word here translated humble or maybe lowly in some of your translations. And we might think of humbleness as a virtue, like someone's being humble. But Mary's talking about something slightly different. She's saying, in effect, God looked at me, and, and it wasn't because I had anything to offer. God looked on me even though I had nothing to offer. This isn't that the Lord rewards those who are doing the right things. No, remember, the gospel is God's action. And Mary says, I didn't have anything to do with it. My situation is humble. Who I am is lowly, and yet the God of the universe has looked on me. The gospel is God's action, not human action. God didn't choose a powerful queen. He chose a young Israelite woman. And as a result of God's action, all those generations that would follow us almost 2,000 years later, sitting here in a foreign country compared to where Mary is, we will call her blessed. And this is important when we think about what it means to be blessed. Because time and time again in Scripture, we see that blessing is not about material blessing. It's not about the things that we have. It's not about all, having all of the material and physical prosperity that we would want. Instead, what Scripture shows us is that blessing is about participating in what God is doing. Blessing is about being in on what God is doing in this world. Notice how Mary describes this blessing in 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Remember, God's action, not hers. And holy is his name. 
So the great things that God has done for Mary is that He has brought her in to His plan to redeem the world through Christ. And for that reason, she sings praise. She says, holy is His name. Again, God's action. It's not about her holiness. Any holiness that you or I have or Mary had is derived from who God is. It's about His character, His faithfulness, in spite of human failure. In spite of human failure, God remains holy. And He chooses Mary in this instance. Verse 50 continues to celebrate the Lord's character. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. And we've talked about this word mercy a lot. It's much broader than the way we use it. It's not just about like staying your hand or something like that. The use of the word mercy here and how it's often used in, in the Bible, it reminds us that God is faithful to His promises. Time marches on, but the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. A great example of the way this word is used is in Psalm 136. Over and over again, Psalm 136 tells us that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Or some translations have, the loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. That word translated loving kindness, or that word translated steadfast love, is an underlying word that refers to God's faithfulness to His promises. And when it moves from Hebrew, as it is in Psalm 136, into Greek before the writing of the New Testament, guess what? The Greek word for mercy, the same one we find here, is used. So that's the background to this verse. And the idea is that the Lord is faithful, that the Lord's steadfast love endures forever, that the Lord's loving kindness endures forever. And while this verse refers to the faithfulness of those who fear him, we also know that those who fear him do so imperfectly. Think about even the greatest characters in the Bible. We'll just take David as an example. David is a prime example because he's the great king of Israel who is said in Scripture to have a heart attuned to God's own heart. And yet, he's unfaithful, he's rebellious, and he is sinful. And still, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Still, the loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. Still, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. In spite of the rebellion, in spite of the unfaithfulness, 2 Timothy 2.13 puts it this way, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. You see how it's linked to God's character. It's out of God's character that we have the hope of God remaining faithful. It's God's action. That's what comes so clearly into focus once more. The announcement of what God is doing through His character. And Mary continues with that theme. Look at verses 51 through 53. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. A related word, by the way, to what she said about herself. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Do you see that series of reversals in these verses? There's a series of turning everything upside down. The mighty have been dethroned, the lowly have been enthroned, the hungry are filled, the rich are denied. 
This is what God is doing through Christ. He's changing the way the world works. He's altering the status quo. In Christ, God is bringing his justice, his righteousness to our broken world. Now think about this for a minute. We live in a brutal and unforgiving world. The systems and power structures are corrupt. Those in positions of power are often corrupted by that very power. Our hearts in our own selves are twisted and crooked. We know it just thinking about what's going on inside of ourselves. And our efforts at justice, our efforts at righteousness, our efforts to do the right thing are feeble at best. They're imperfections at best. But here's what Mary says. And it's the gospel announcement. In Christ, God is unwinding the inner workings of this world. God is unwinding the way this world works. It will not always be the way it is. In fact, the unwinding has already begun. It began in eternity past, before the creation of the world. It began in the heart of the Trinitarian God who knew long before creation even was a thing that this world would be invaded by rebellion. And yet, that God created the world with an intention of redeeming it when it rejected His goodness. And because His character never changes, every evil, every atrocity, every disaster, every disappointment, Appointment is only a tangle in the unraveling thread of redemption. All of creation is cascading toward redemption in Christ. And the decisive blow has been dealt. That's what Mary knows. That's what she's talking about. Mary knows that what is about to happen is the moment when all of creation will be confronted by God's decisive action. All of creation will experience the cataclysmic action of God what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I've said, this action is rooted in God's character. Look at the last two verses with me in 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, we have to go all the way back to Genesis. As soon as she talks about Abraham, we're being reminded of a promise that is in the very earliest chapters of Scripture. This promise to Abraham that through Abraham, God will bless all the families of the world. Through Abraham, God will redeem the world. Through Abraham, God will send one who will crush the head of the serpent in the garden. These are all the promises we find in Genesis. And the prophets later in the Old Testament pick up on all of these great promises and they start to explain what that looks like. So for example, in one of the later prophets named Micah, in the very last verse of his prophecy in Micah 7, he talks about this promise to Abraham and to his offspring forever that will be fulfilled and it's coming soon. See, once more, it is on the basis of God's mercy. He remembered his mercy according to verse 54. He remembered his loving kindness. He remembered his steadfast love. He remembered that he made a covenant with Abraham. And out of that covenant faithfulness, God has acted. It has nothing to do with what humans have done. It has nothing to do with what we can bring to the table. It has everything to do with who God is. His faithfulness. And what I think we must take away from this passage 
is that the gospel is an announcement. So what we talk about during this season of the year is an announcement of God's mighty action in Christ. Remember that quote I led with. As Bob Inc. said, it is sheer good tidings. It is gift. This ought to fundamentally change the way we think about Christmas. It ought to fundamentally change the way we utter the phrase Merry Christmas or even Happy Holidays since there's no reason to be antagonistic or defensive when we have such good news, when we have such hope, when we have such joy. See, what we're celebrating so acutely during this Advent season and later this week as we get into the Christmas season is the decisive action of God in Christ. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a world that is twisted, that has gone off the rails, that is good in so many ways, but needs redemption, that is in deep need of God to do something, to buy it back from the corruption that we all know so well. And he's done that. That's what Mary's talking about. That's the moment that has come. Everything in all of creation, including Mary, is talking about God doing what God promised to do all along. And we talk about the shepherds around this time of year, and we talk about the wise men, and we do so rightfully since they recognize the nature of this announcement. And what's so astonishing about them is they are not people who have really any particular claim to these promises either. So the shepherds are just lowly blue-collar workers in a field, and the angels announce to them God's decisive action, good tidings. And the, the wise men aren't particular royalty in Israel. And we call them wise men. We think of them as kings. They, they could have had some wealth, or they could have been some sort of magicians. But what they really are is almost like pagans in that world, right? They're outside of the people of Israel, and yet God comes to them with a sign that God is doing what God promised to do. Again, God's decisive action. But even as we move outside of the traditional Christmas story, we also hear it in the words of the woman at the well in John 4. After meeting and speaking with Jesus at the well, she goes back to her village and she says, come see the Christ. Come see, the moment has come. Come see, God is doing what God promised to do. That's really the message that we take away this morning. Come see what God has done. Now that may seem like a simple message in a complex and corrupt world. But the living God has acted. And there's nothing simple about that. There's nothing simple about talking about what the living God is doing. That is the joy of the gospel. As we conclude here, just notice the very first verse that Mary began with. Um, so Mary magnifies the Lord, but notice the verse before it in verse 45. Elizabeth speaking, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. See, this is what the gospel calls us to. Because it's an announcement, because it is news of what God has done, what it calls us to, what it beckons us to, is to place our trust, what the Bible refers to as belief. Put your trust in that announcement. That what God has done is going to remake and redeem this world. 
That's the joy of the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel. And that's what we're talking about as we go into the Christmas season with this expectation of Christ once more coming to this world. Well, as always, I do want to leave you with an invitation. And I've explained um, some at the beginning of accessing me, so you can, you can get in touch with me this week. I do intend to be in the office this week. And I hope to see you Friday for the Christmas Eve service. You can catch one of the other staff members. You got to see most of them earlier today. You can catch one of them after the service this morning. Or you can give us a call or send us an email. We're always interested to talk to you about this message of the gospel. We're always interested to talk to you about your growth as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And we're always interested to talk to you about your status as a member here at the church or if you're interested in joining our fellowship and having the sort of connection and um, the sort of fellowship that we have as members here in the church. So all of those things are available. If you're interested in any of those, you can contact us or catch one of us after the service. But with that said, let me pray for us and ask that God would use these words and apply them to our hearts. Lord, we are so incredibly grateful for the announcement of what you have done in Christ Jesus. And we pray now that with all of the busyness of this season and all of the plans and all of the things to do and all of the excitement and all of the memories to be made, that you would help us to see this treasure this good news that we possess, this good news that you have gifted to us, these good tidings that have come to our world. I pray that for those of us who already believe that you would give us eyes to see deeper into these truths. I pray that you would open up our minds to grasp with all the saints what is the height, the breadth, and the depth of your love for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that if there are those here who are doubting or who are struggling to believe or who just simply don't want to believe or don't believe, Lord, I pray that you would work to open their eyes as well. And I pray that you would shine the light of the gospel of grace into this room and into each heart, into those who might be watching either today or at another time, those who are listening to the audio version. Lord, we pray that you would move and be pleased to work through this message. And we pray that we would have the same experience of Mary, that we would celebrate and magnify what you have done for us in Christ Jesus, through whom we pray this prayer. Amen.